Welcome to Not Your Father's Data Center, a podcast brought to you by Compass Data Centers. We build for what's next. Now here's your host, Raymond Hawkins. Welcome to another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. I'm your host, Raymond Hawkins, and uh, Rich Miller is our guest today. Rich, thank you for joining us. Uh, You're very welcome, Raymond. I'm uh, glad to be here. Rich, founder and editor of Data Center Frontier, and Rich and I are recording on Thursday, June the 3rd, just to give everybody orientation as uh, we continue to vaccinate the planet and come out of the pandemic that um, we're sure one or two of you have heard about over the last year, year and a half. So, Rich, if you don't mind, let's dive right in and love to hear a little bit about you. Um, your, your name is, I think, synonymous for, with the data center industry. So I've been in technology for my entire career and, and came to the data center side about eight years ago. And uh, uh, when people uh, told me, hey, when you start to read about this industry, you should read this data center frontier. or You should read this or you should read that. I saw your name I literally my first day in the business. So love to hear a little bit about you, how you got in the space, and then we'll talk about the history of cover in this space, if you don't mind. So born, raised, where are you from? Give us all that. Let's let's learn a little bit about you. Sure. So I've been in the, the data center industry about 20 years. I worked in uh, newspapers for 18 years before that. So I've had a, a lengthy career in uh, media and in technology. And it's been interesting to see the changes in both industries and how they've affected one another. Obviously, uh, covering this industry and the way that the world has changed over the last 20 to 25 years, uh, there's been uh, an amazing transition going on. Um, And it's interesting how your career and your life experience kind of prepares you for uh, the way these opportunities that emerge. And that was definitely a big part of my story. Uh, you asked about uh, beginnings. You know, I uh, have spent most of my, my adult life in New Jersey. I, I uh, was born and, and grew up initially in the Washington, D.C. area. My wife considers me a, a short-time Jersey resident because I've only been living here since I was uh, 14. But, uh, you know, I uh, became – I wasn't that interested in, in technology early on, in fact. Uh, but I was very interested in in writing and in news. That was something that was uh, – uh, important in my in my house growing up, uh, I grew up in in as I mentioned in the Washington area in the early 1970s. So you know we got the Washington Post on our doorstep every morning. I was <laughs> read Woodward and Bernstein over breakfast, and and so engagement in in news and issues and uh, really an appetite for understanding uh, uh, issues in depth has been you know part of my experience from. Uh, uh, the early going. My uh, dad worked in uh, satellite communications, which has been an interesting sort of technology background. And uh, my mom was a librarian and uh, one of the world's most active readers. So uh, from very early on, I've been uh, reading and uh, exposed to uh, the ways that in which technology can uh, can change our world. Uh, well, after we moved to New Jersey, my dad uh, uh, worked at a satellite station where they would uh, broadcast uh, early uh, early content from uh, folks like uh, TBS and Turner Media. Uh, ESPN was one of their early clients back when they were still just a, a small uh, cable network in, in Connecticut. Uh, so, and, and HBO, in fact, uh, uh, was another early customer. So, uh, been able to see sort of the, the way that uh, technology can transform the world and and. Uh, 
uh, turns fairly small and modest, uh, uh, you know, news operations and information businesses into to global phenomenons. Um, so uh, after that, went to, to school at Rutgers, and my passion uh, in uh, working at the, the school newspaper and my early newspapers jobs is I was a sports writer, uh, which is tremendous training for just about everything else uh, in journalism. Uh, because you learn interviewing, you learn to work on a deadline. Daily deadline. Because there's nothing. Yeah. A daily deadline. And, you know, the immediacy of having to cover a night game and having to file a story in, you know, 15, 20 minutes and be able to get it in uh, on, on deadline. Because one of the things we learned is if the, the newspaper comes out in the morning and you don't have the, the score from last night and, and uh, the story to go with it, uh, you are missing the boat. Uh, and that was the days too, where you know, if you were on the road, uh, when I was in in, uh, in school at Rutgers and, and covering uh, uh, events, uh, you'd we'd have to file stories using, uh, you know, TRS eighties, the, the little trash eighty uh, semi yeah, trash eighty from to, from Tandy, yeah, 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 exactly. Dial up modem, three hundred baud, <laughs> and we would use acoustic couplers and a payphone. To file our stories, yes, and so I'd be doing yes. that in an airport, and uh, and I kid with you on know, the, a monochrome screen that nobody would even recognize today, right? It was probably <laughs> blue. It was so yeah. small that you could only or see gray. a couple of lines at a time. So you know that is really old school technology, but but it was really all about finding just about any way to uh, to get the news out and get the information to our readers and. Being able to uh, write quickly on deadline is something that's been valuable throughout my career. And the other great thing about sports is you get the opportunity to experiment with lots of different uh, story formats and ways of writing. You have to, to try different things to, to keep the audience engaged because, uh, you know, sports fans are some of the biggest readers going too. So they've seen a lot of different – you can't just write the same old – inverted pyramid. Here's here's the score. Here's what happened last night. You got to find ways to make it interesting because many of them will already know the score, particularly nowadays. Uh, and that uh, was my early journalism experience. Things began to change a little bit after I met my wife uh, and we got married. Uh, and one of the things she asked is, after a couple of years, is, is it always going to be nights and weekends? And the answer was, well, if I was going to stay in sports, it was. So I looked across the newsroom for something that would have uh, uh, daytime hours, and that's when I got involved in business journalism and have been in uh, – that was 1986-87. Uh, uh, my first day on the business desk was uh, um, Monday, October 19th of 1987, which was – the day that the stock market oh, fell 22%. Yes. How about that? Uh, so it was a, a kind Black of Monday. a trial by fire. But it was also the, the time when uh, everybody was interested in, you know, uh, business and the stock market had never been more important in terms of the need to be able to explain why that mattered to folks and how that translates into activity in the economy. Uh, and so I was wrote, wrote about uh, uh, business uh, at a couple of daily newspapers in New Jersey for a bunch of years. Were you at the Trenton but, but Times I mean, in '87? Or I, I was no, I started. I was at the uh, the Home News in New Brunswick, okay. which doesn't uh, exist anymore. Uh, it's been folded into uh, you know. I guess the successor now is the Asbury Park Press. Uh, and then in uh, 1993, I went to the Trenton Times and began covering uh, the Trenton area. 
And that's when uh, it was interesting because uh, our coverage area included the, you know, the Princeton area where I live now. And between the university and some of the, the biotech firms and other things going on in the area, there was a lot of early technology research uh, that began pointing towards the internet. And uh, so it became clear that technology was going to become a big part of uh, covering business. Uh, and, but the real you know, transformation was when my, my wife got uh, us on the internet for the first time. She was much more technology savvy than me uh, and, uh, and still works with uh, the Data Center Frontier uh, operation. She's been uh, a part of it, uh, an important team member for, for uh, many years. But uh, it was America Online. We kid about how there's, there's a, a data center in Ashburn that's the You've Got Mail data center where all of the AOL originated from. But much of the early, uh, you know, uh, telecom and, and internet infrastructure was driven by the growth of America Online. But what I figured out from that was that, uh, you know, I, at first I was just like, oh my goodness, there's all these things I can read and learn about and access all these information sources. But then I figured out that it was a publishing medium. You could create a web page on AOL, uh, you know, write things on on your your on your keyboard and it would go out to the entire world. And that's when the light bulb went off over my head that the news industry was going to change because, you know, at, at the Trenton Times, we would, uh, uh, you know, we'd write our stories. They'd be, you know, printed up by people uh, and uh, and put on the newsprint. There was a printing press. And then it'd all be loaded onto trucks and, and taken all around the place. And there was this entire multiple layers of, of infrastructure that, you know, would become obsolete if you can just, you know, send the, the news over the internet uh, to another computer. So that that was really the beginning of uh, of my career in online journalism. Yeah, we had no idea the um, how the printing press's future would be changed with the coming of AOL and all that it uh, begat, that's for sure. So awesome stuff. So I took a bunch of notes. So I'm going to take some, ask some questions. And I'm going to draw some interesting parallels, Rich. So I took my very first computer programming class in the third grade. And we programmed on TRS-80s. Uh, and I remember writing BASIC uh, on TRS-80s in school and basically growing up with computers my whole life. I'm in, I'm in my mid-50s. I think I'm one of the – I think I am the first generation sort of age-wise that had computers from the beginning. Um, computers have been part of my education from the very, very early, early days. And hearing you bring up the Trash 80, I love that. That uh, reminds me of – um, very early computer classes. And then one more parallel that I think is funny because we're both in technology. So I, um, I'm getting out of college. I'm trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. And I started a football magazine in the late 80s to cover SEC football and uh, ran like many young entrepreneurs in his early 20s. The business was undercapitalized and we only survived for a couple of football seasons. But uh, I look, you know, to your point back then, there, there was no Internet. It was it was pre um, the Internet, pre anything getting published on the Internet and, and writing a newspaper. And to your point, you know, delivering the copy and watching it get typeset and watching it run through these printing presses and getting folded and banded and put on trucks. That was all the distribution was a massive undertaking and uh, amazing to think how my kids don't even understand that today, right? The publishing business in that sense isn't even comprehended today. My kids think publishing is a tweet. <laughs> well, it is now. That's the thing. It is. That's right. You reach more people faster. Yeah. Right, right. I yeah. spend a lot of time, too much time on Twitter probably. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, so fascinated by uh, your background and your story. Really appreciate getting to hear it. And and you know, you're 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 starting in D.C. and then on to New Jersey, and your better half coaching you and out of out of the sports pages and into the business pages. That was a wise move on her part if she wanted weekends and nights together. So that's good. It was a smart move on my part. She's uh, she's always had a lot of good ideas, and uh, and the other thing is, like you know, she was the one who nudged me onto the internet. And uh, uh, the good thing about that, and and we joke about the trash eighty, but at the time it was kind of a, a miracle for folks who who like if you're making the transition from in college, you know, we would type our, our stories on yellow sheets of paper. We'd use whiteout to uh, type over our uh, paper over our typos and send it to someone else to be, be typeset. Uh, the amazing thing was after I, you know, uh, under, came to understand that you could publish through America Online, I'm like, how do you do this? How do you build websites and everything? And it was all available for free on the internet. Uh, the, I learned HTML uh, because so many other people who had learned it before me had put these tutorials out there. And just about anything you needed to learn uh, about building and deploying websites uh, was freely available on the internet. And uh, so I learned how to build uh, websites and, and uh, my wife and I started a, a small sort of uh, web design and hosting business on the side uh, while I was uh, still working a day job at the Trenton Times. So I, I saw that um, the internet was going to be really important. And, and my thought was this experience can help me understand how the news industry is going to change and how the newspaper that I worked for uh, can use these tools. Um, and, you know, it, it was about four or five years of uh, trying to uh, lead the newsroom and then the organization in that direction. Uh, I was I was writing about a bunch of different stuff on, on the daytime. And in addition to business, I was sort of the newsroom technology director for a while. Um, but it became pretty clear that that there was this online publishing revolution going on and the newspaper industry wasn't just getting it. It was there was a lot of concern that well, people make stuff up on the internet, which given where we are today is 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 pretty uh, amazing that, that that was the kind of concern then. But uh, in along so it's an interesting story about how I fell into the data center business because that was the opportunity for me to move from the old print newspaper into digital publishing. Uh, my wife was working for a, a real estate company that was starting up uh, uh, an online site to uh, sell and market real estate. And uh, one of the guys she met uh, marketed telecom properties. And he lived in the Princeton area. And he said, you know, you should be writing about data centers, not all this stuff you're doing in the newspaper. And uh, and carrier hotels, that was the the term then. Um, and I, I was like, nah, that's, you know, nobody is really that interested in that. That's really, it's all this nerdy stuff. And, and I wasn't that interested in real estate at the time. And, uh, and then he said, look, come visit one with me, walk through it, see what you think. And man, you know, that was the eye-opening moment where you go in, you see a data center for the first time, the servers, the lights, the cables, it was about 50 degrees in there. Uh, and it's sort of the introduction that there's all this extraordinary uh, back end of the infrastructure behind the internet and having understood as a user and as a publisher and, and content creator, suddenly it all kind of clicked that for well, 
what year was that, Rich? I'd, I'd, I'd love to that hear. Was, when that you was your uh, first the data center. It was early, early 2000s. 2000. And uh, I quit my job in May 2000 because I realized that um, we were going to need these everywhere. Mm-hmm. That if the internet was going to grow and become this uh, incredible thing, uh, that it would need this infrastructure. And, and you know, I learned a little bit about all, some of all of the, the uh, incredible growth that America Online had got to go through to be able for me to publish those uh, pages out there. And so, I, you know, I, I went to, to work uh, for this gentleman in, in, in Princeton. Uh, we did a, a website called CarrierHotels.com where we wrote about mostly the, the big city buildings, which is where most of the early telecom and data center activity existed. This was just a, a few years after the Telecom Act of 1996, which had changed the, the really yeah, the, the landscape. The landscape for, of carriers, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and created a competitive climate where people could compete with them. But initially it was, yeah, you can just – Take your equipment and put it inside the uh, the, uh, the the telephone company's building, right. their their central office, and they'll look after it for you, and it'll all be, it'll all work out great. And uh, it was suboptimal for most of the competitive carriers, right? And so they began looking for you know nearby buildings where they could have a, a, a short uh, a telecom connection, and they could uh, have their own gear and not have to ask the, the Bell folks for permission to access it. And that's how the Carrier Hotel started to come about. So I, lo- I love that uh, this is one of the conversations I have with folks about why, why, is, why is a Carrier Hotel a thing? When people ask, why do you need to get to 350 Cermak or you know, 111.8 or you know, 60 Hudson? And, and, and it's, it, it goes back to exactly what you described. So I'd, I'd love it if you just take us one click deeper in, in the um, breaking up of the Ma Bells and how it fostered a Carrier Hotel and why those became a thing. I think that's a fascinating part for how this business started and what, why May West mattered and all of that stuff. Can you give us a little bit more on why Carrier Hotels mattered? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give it, a, give it a, a good shot. So in the early 1990s, there began to, to be these concerns about the long-running concerns about uh, antitrust and the uh, Bell Company's influence over their marketplace. And there were a lot of uh, folks who wanted to compete with them. I, I think it was MCI that was one of the early uh, litigants that, that wound up uh, with the court ruling that would uh, break up the bell system into you know baby bells, and it also created the opportunity for new companies to uh, form and to have access to the phone uh, system, to the physical infrastructure, because that was a, the the real issue is, you know, to be able to build that out on your own was was cost prohibitive, and uh, but that be, uh, created the challenge of okay, where does the equipment live? Who has custody of it? And how do you both access the network uh, and still be able to, to reduce your reliance on the folks that you're competing with? So uh, what happened is uh, uh, the carrier hotels generally sprung up around the, the central offices for the, the phone company, which would be the, the, the intersections of the network, the meeting place where the, the lines would all go out from. And they would find a building right nearby, get a short high-capacity uh, connection, and then uh, uh, place your equipment in these buildings. And they tended to be, they, they were different kinds of buildings. Uh, often they were ones that had been associated with uh, a previous communications infrastructure. 
uh, or were big, sturdy buildings. Like in New York, it's 60 Hudson Street was the Western Union headquarters and uh, uh, had complete with the uh, uh, the system of pneumatic tubing that would send uh, messages between buildings in New York, which then you could just run fiber through to then uh, connect the buildings there. Uh, and there's a, a, a similar phenomenon showed up in a lot of different uh, towns where a single building sort of becomes the focus, maybe a couple of buildings where they're right next to the central office. And the next thing you know, a bunch of telecom companies are uh, leasing space there. Uh, installing uh, generators and, and backup power and, uh, you know, uh, air conditioning, the HVAC. And in many cases in the early days, the the landlords of these buildings you know, didn't necessarily catch on right away as to what was going on. and uh, But pretty soon they did. And that's where we got the whole telecom premium from, where if you got a telecom customer in, customer in, they were super sticky and the proximity really mattered. So they would pay more to be next to the central office than to be, you know, 10 blocks away. Uh, but it was a fascinating kind of thing. And we wrote about all these buildings, you know, uh, 60 Hudson Street and 111 8th Avenue in New York, uh, the Infomart in, in Dallas, uh, and the 2323 Bryan was the other one down there. That was a, a big uh, 350 East Cermak. You mentioned the uh, the main primary uh, carrier hotel in Chicago, the uh, you know, one Wilshire in Los Angeles. These sort of iconic buildings that uh, have interesting histories, but they all suddenly are filled with all this telecom gear. Uh, which is where all the, the they became the places from which the internet uh, went forth. Fascinating stuff that um, you started uh, at CarrierHotels.com. I, I, I have to admit, Rich, I had never heard that name, but I love that that was a thing. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm going I'm to branch off a little bit. Have you read the book Tubes? That talks about the beginning. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. so I think this is it just reminds me a little bit of that, right? Of uh, Andrew Bloom. Yeah, yeah, yeah Andrew, I, exactly I, right. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he and I talked when he was researching that book, actually. And, and uh, uh, there were a couple of early books about the, the sector, you know. And w what was interesting is because first at Carrier Hotels and then uh, uh, especially at Data Center Knowledge, which I started in 2005, uh, when people would, would start searching for information about data centers, they'd, <laughs> they'd often call me on the phone and say, well, you know, you seem to be paying attention to this. And, uh, and so that's how I made a lot of connections, including some of my best connections in the industry. People I've known for a long while was just there was only so many information sources out there. When I first began writing about the data center industry, there were really only a couple of information sources. Um, most of them were, were, were newsletters or subscription services, uh, you know, things like tier one research or uh, IX reach, uh, you know, and, but it was very closely held. The, the data center industry was, uh, I, I don't know that it, it was like uh, security through anonymity, but it was, it, was, uh, it was not something that a lot of people knew much about and that was talked about or written about much. Uh, and the commercial data center industry was really just getting going uh, with particularly folks like Exodus was one of the early players that began building uh, data centers uh, in, in these technology hubs. You would have your carrier hotels, but a lot of them had limited footprints. They, you know, because they were skyscrapers often in big cities. So they had small footprints as people needed more server capacity. 
uh, folks like Exodus started building uh, data centers in the in the suburbs, uh, and uh, they could fill it with more servers. Uh, this became a big thing in the early two thousands. Uh, you know, by the, the interesting thing was a lot of companies built a lot of data centers that we covered at Carrier Hotels in particular. Uh, and then when there was the dot com bust, a lot of those uh, companies went bankrupt and. I walked through a, a ton of data centers that were beautiful, 100,000 square foot facilities with not a single piece of equipment in them because they'd been built in anticipation of this, uh, you know, extraordinary expectation that the internet was going to be uh, a colossal success, uh, which was not wrong. It was simply early. The investment and the infrastructure, the, the early players got way ahead of the demand. Uh, and so then we had the nuclear winner of the data center industry and, uh, uh, which included, you know, it kind of took out carrier hotels along the way. And uh, after uh, I was uh, doing like freelancing for for other sites that wrote about web, primarily web hosting, because that was still a thing then. But uh, uh, where this really wound up uh, uh, going was I was I was kind of watching. I still uh, monitored a lot of the channels that uh, uh, that that would write about these kind of things. And I noticed a couple of data centers in Los Angeles that had been sitting empty for a long time suddenly got bought up at, uh, you know, surprising prices by people who were big players in the co-location industry. And, uh, and I thought, wow, there must be something going on that's changing the fortune. And of course, what it was was that uh, people like uh, Google uh, in particular were starting to scarf up all of this uh, vacant data center space and start to build much larger uh, search and business operations. Uh, I started data center knowledge uh, to start writing about that. Just kind of sat down one day, I had this domain and was, started uh, typing a, a blog post. And, uh, you know, uh, since then, the industry has has really shown its resilience. So you see a couple of these assets get bought. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned global, uh, you, you, you mentioned Exodus, I think a global crossing, some of the other guys sure. in the early days that built some capacity that ended up, like you said, just being early, not wrong, just early. And you see some of that capacity come up. So this has got to be like 04, 05. I'm thinking coming right out of the dot-com meltdown, right? Because we had the dot-com. Right. I remember Sun, they were the dot and dot-com and everything was going to go. You know, you know, All you had to say was dot-com on the end of your name and you got money thrown at you to start a business. And that and that that hype lived through kind of oh three oh four, and then it collapsed. And so, is are, are my time wise? Am I right on the calendar that you would have shown up about early oh five? The downturn in the in the stock market with the the dot com stocks uh, started in late two thousand, and then uh, two thousand one it accelerated. I think it was late two thousand one two thousand two. We started seeing bankruptcies. Uh, at, Exodus, AboveNet, um, you know, World, WorldCom was the big one. And uh, so the 2003 into 2004 was really tough times. A lot of data centers changed hands for, you know, pennies on the dollar, really. And, uh, you know, customers who were going to uh, lease space, you know, would want to learn all about the finances of the provider because they were concerned of, of whether they were going to have to move their equipment. Uh, and then this was 2005 when things started to thaw. About a year earlier, we'd seen uh, Google start to, to lease uh, chunks of space in a couple of markets. And that was certainly a sign that things were changing. And this is about when uh, some of the uh, many of the companies that we saw, we, that we see today that are our uh, major players were 
coming together in seriousness. Uh, you know, Equinix had uh, uh, just really kind of reformulated from a, uh, a reverse merger that kind of uh, saved its bacon at the time. Uh, digital Realty was was just uh, beginning to be envisioned by uh, uh, by folks from uh, from GI Partners who had, had first gone in and scarfed up a lot of these uh, uh, bought up a lot of these properties that were uh, available pretty cheap. So it was really the the formative days of what would the data center industry would become, and uh, and I kind of got a, a front row seat for all of it. Uh, you know, it's writing about it at the data center knowledge and. You know, and the continued monitoring it through the whole, you know, the whole real estate crash in 2007, 2008, and nine, which was extraordinary because, uh, and and we've seen certainly seen this uh, also with the pandemic is the need for for data centers and infrastructure and information uh, continue to pace. Uh, in the uh, the industry, apart from you know capital uh, challenges. A really, uh, the demand uh, continued, uh, and uh, uh, folks survived and, and executed throughout. So it's been pretty interesting. Yeah, what well, talk about you know good timing, fortuitous timing, getting to be um, not 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 only in the front row seat to the data center industry, but being a digital publisher in that space, right? Getting getting to embrace where the um, how publishing was changing, and having had a history of being a newspaper guy, so you knew how to write, knew how to uh, manage a publishing entity, and getting to be on the front end of that. Getting done. I mean, right? Not, not that there aren't books written about our space, but a lot more digital content content about our space and, and being on the front end of that. What, what, what a great marriage of opportunity. Um, great timing. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And that was a, a learning experience too, because uh, in addition to learning about the data center industry, I had to learn about online publishing and what worked and what didn't and uh, tried a lot of different things with, with uh, business models. You know, the early days of blogging and trying to make a, a – which was what it was kind of thought of then. I always saw it as journalism because that's what I was doing is applying uh, the, the traditional journalistic standards and simply uh, wielding them in an online format that extended its reach. Uh, you know, and, and it was it was powerful in so many – different ways because like when I was working at the newspaper, we would say, well, we have uh, a circulation of, of 80,000. I think that's what it was in, in Trenton. And and it was just the people in the Trenton area. But really what was that was saying was that's how many you know copies of the paper we print and circulate. Doesn't really tell you who's looking at that. Uh, who's where, actually reading, right? Right. So when, once you go digital, uh, we have data on all of that. We know how many people are reading each story and uh, it's uh, it's useful for me as a publisher. It's useful for advertisers, uh, and the the it's transformative in the audience that you can reach. Obviously, the data center industry at the time was national, and and now it's global. We have readers. You know, each year when I look at the stats, we have readers in more than two hundred countries, uh, which is crazy. You know, to me that that uh, people in you know Hong Kong or Australia are are, are reading our uh, reading stories that I uh, that I published that morning but that's the the power of the medium but that doesn't mean that it's been easy to take the business models that worked uh, in traditional print publishing and find ways to uh, adapt them for online uh, obviously for much of the the news industry it's been a, a brutal period 
Uh, I have many friends who I worked with in the newspaper industry who lost their jobs and had to go do other things because, uh, you know, the, the traditional newspaper industry was disrupted by folks like Google, which figured out – once Google figured out the advertising model with the customized tech – it was a text ad at first. Um, but that was transformational in a couple of ways. It was the beginning of the end of how uh, newspapers and – uh, uh, you know, even TV stations used to to sell advertising, uh, but it also or magazines, all of them, right. just transformed them. Yeah, but in online publishing, that was what created the business model. It made so many different businesses viable if they could advertise online, they could reach their customers using Google Ads, uh, and for publishers, Google used to have this program that was uh, important for us in our in our uh, growth at, at DCK at the time. Which was like you could put a snippet of code on your site, and Google would sell the ads and place them there, and uh, and you'd get a, a check each month. Uh, it was called AdSense, and you know, as a publisher, that was that was uh, one of the first ways that uh, you could really support yourself without having to to hustle on your own. Uh, since right. then, I've been fortunate to meet a business partner who sells online ads really well and has has been a, a huge part in the success of both data center knowledge and and Data Center Frontier, uh, Kevin Normando, who's the publisher of, of Data Center Frontier. Uh, and we've, <laughs> we, uh, we've helped a, a, a lot of folks uh, learn about uh, online advertising and business through uh, folks in the industry who've reached out to us and, and wanted to learn about what we were doing. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, gone are the days of needing to sell the center spread, right? That that valuable real estate in the middle of the newspaper. That those days are gone, or your back cover in a magazine. Uh, oh yeah, those, or the inserts those, for the, the uh, yeah the car the dealers. Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. And the it used to be car dealers, supermarkets. Uh, right. Yeah, grocery uh, those stores, were the big yeah. advertisers. Yeah. Yep, yep. Those those days are transformed forever, and and how it uh, how your how you got to be not only publishing in that space, but publishing about the space that was making that digital transformation possible. It's a pretty neat confluence of, of two, two experiences. Neat that you've been able to be in the middle of it. All right. I'm going to ask you one parting question. As, as a, so you got 20 years. You were there in the beginning, early 2000s, watching this whole data set. What's the um, – I'm sorry, I'm going to turn it into two questions. The biggest surprise, the thing that you've seen in the last 20 years of covering the data center space, the thing that you were the most surprised about, and what was the thing that um, you were the most uh, compelled, in other words, so surprising, we never saw that coming, and then the biggest disappointment. How about those two? And you can do disappointment first so we don't end on a down note. Sure. Um, I think that the, one of the biggest, uh, you know, Disappointments, I guess, has has been how long it has taken the the data center industry. It, it's sort of a, 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 a two sides of, of the same coin. It, it had took a long time for for data centers to really get uh, religion on efficiency and uh, sustainability, uh, and this was important because as large energy users and as linchpins of the global economy, the data center industry has had the opportunity to lead a, a transformation uh, in, in terms of uh, being able to help jumpstart uh, a transition to renewable energy uh, and just being uh, incredibly efficient. It, it, took, uh, it took quite a while, but I think, you know, the flip side of that is that the, the data center industry and cloud computing and the concentration of, of data and workloads is part of the story here is that we've seen a real transformation, particularly in recent years, 
with uh, with workloads moving to the cloud and having data centers become a real force for uh, societal transformation. Um, and I think that plays into uh, the one that I've uh, been, you know, sort of uh, most surprised and, and pleased about um, is the industry's ability uh, to make a difference in the world uh, in a crisis. And I think we saw this in an unusual way in the in the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. Suddenly, the uh, the data center industry was a lifeline for so many people in the economy. And it's behind the scenes. It's not like, you know, the the real heroes of this time are your doctors, nurses, the folks who develop vaccines. Uh, you know, all that is obvious. But to make society continue working, we really needed the data center industry on the back end with the ability to scale up networks, to add capacity so that people could do all this Zooming we've been doing. Uh, and uh, whether it's for school, for work, it's been really essential, and and it's it's shifted our whole culture and entertainment too. I, I saw something the other day from Comcast, which is our local provider here, that uh, uh, of they had a huge surge in traffic last year, of course, but that only a fairly small percentage of the gain was uh, was video conferencing. A lot of it was just entertainment because people were consuming <laughs> so right. much more right. as they were in the house uh, watching YouTube, watching. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime at our house, uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, you know, it, it really has been uh, uh, the data center industry is, is has been changing the world for, for the, the entire time that I've been covering it. Uh, it is it still never fails to amaze me the scale of things. Like the data centers that Compass builds, and and uh, you know, like yesterday was one of these where in the morning I wrote a story about a company announcing a 1.5 million square foot development, and in the afternoon I wrote one about somebody that was announcing 500 megawatts of of new capacity. And the, even for someone who's been watching the growth of all of this for for 20 years, uh, it's still amazing the kind of uh, scale and impact that this industry is, is bringing. And to have had a, like a front row seat for all of this has, has just been a blast. I, uh, I enjoy the, the, I appreciate the invitation because I love talking about data centers and the difference that they've made in my life and in the world. And I think that's, uh, that's a story I'm, I'm glad to be able to share. Well, Rich, I love your perspective. Um, I'm going to summarize quickly. I think, yeah, the disappointment is slow to get efficient, slow to get efficiency as a religion and be a responsible consumer of power on the planet. I think you nailed that one. And I think our industry is leading there now, but I think it took us a while to get standards to where they needed to be. Yes. But the second one and, and, and the, the positive side of it, right? Everyone uh, understands Zoom. Even my kids wear t-shirts now that say Zoom University, right? Because everyone went to class for a year via via Zoom. But 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 to your point, the be to be able to collaborate, to be able to get groceries delivered, to be able to watch movies, to be able to stay connected to your family members and your coworkers. Um, candidly to be able to when you needed something food delivered, right? I mean it's crazy, but Uber Eats, people bringing all of that is done in the data center and the way the data center kept the global economy moving uh, in a way that uh, allowed us to stay socially safe, distanced, but operated, I think is huge. It's it, it was funny. We came up with this several years ago at Compass, that part of our tagline, we make lives better.
better by giving companies a secure place to plug in. And we had no idea what, how true that would be. And I think that got revealed in the pandemic, which is exactly what I think you're saying, right, is is enabling society to continue to move forward uh, even when we couldn't do it in a traditional physical sense uh, is something I'm happy to be a part of and excited to be a part of. And fun to talk about. It is fun to talk about it. There's a there's the old saying from uh, Mark Andreessen that software is eating the world, uh, and my addendum to that is software is eating the world, but uh, data centers are required for digestion. And yeah, that's, here, here. Uh, we've really seen the importance of that uh, this past year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rich, we're so grateful that you got to spend some time with us, that you were willing to do it, and then uh, we get to hear a little bit about your history. That, to me, is always the most fascinating part is learning about uh, our guests personally, and thank you for sharing your personal story with us. And we love uh, following you and listening to you. You, you talked about 200 uh, countries reading uh, Data Center Frontier and Data Center Knowledge. Uh, I remember the first time I got an email uh, from somebody who was listening to our podcast in Singapore. I went, wow, wait a minute. People are talking about data centers everywhere. And uh, so I, I, I hear hear you and, and appreciate that and we appreciate how you are a leading voice in our space and thank you for joining us on uh, not your father's data center we really do appreciate it rich thank you you're very welcome glad to be here 